0: Inflame Medical Magazine presents The Tale of Blood Transfusion, a podcast on the history of blood transfusion. I am Sri Lakshmi, and together we hope to enlighten you about the historical events that led to the discovery of modern blood donation and transfusion. From the very beginning, man has been awed by blood, the red fluid that flows inside them. Throughout history, blood has been thought to have great magical powers and was believed to be a life-giving force. It is a squeamish topic, I agree, but we all need blood. In fact, somebody is in need of blood in every three seconds somewhere around the globe. Whether it is for having a baby, undergoing surgery, treatments for cancer, or chronic medical conditions like anemia, blood saves millions of lives annually. History, as we know, is a record of both the good and wrong decisions made in the past, joyful and sorrowful experiences and the difficulties faced by our ancestors to bring the world to where it is today. The history of blood donation is no different. Ancient humans painted their bodies in blood and even worshipped their kings in it. Some thought that drinking the blood of a wild beast would make them strong and indestructible. But the real story began with ancient medical men who made their patients drink blood mixed with herbs to cure diseases. Soon, people began to associate blood with magic potions and the people who got sick were considered to have demons in their blood. They started using blood-sucking leeches to remove both blood and the demons. Doctors began to be known as leeches and their treatments were called leechdoms. From the 17th century, Blood was being used as a therapy for various ailments. One of the most practiced and bizarre leechdoms was pouring the blood of a wild rooster over a patient's head to cure the common headache. Many such elaborate leechdoms soon led to the increased popularity of bloodletting. Doctors would cut a vein and drain off a pint or two of blood, hoping to rid the patient of their illness. Those who survived these primitive bloodletting experiments often found themselves weaker and more susceptible to other diseases. But this apparently wasn't a big discouragement to many people. Bloodletting became so popular that even the barbers became professional bloodletters. Many deaths and failed experiments later, doctors began to realize that bloodletting was clearly not working. Soon, attention turned to blood transfusion. Early attempts at blood transfusion involved giving blood by mouth. But in 1600, William Harvey's discovery that blood circulates within your body through arteries and veins changed the game. This led to transfusions directly into the bloodstream using primitive equipments like animal bladders, quills of porcupines, and hollow silver tubes. But no one was really very successful, until English doctor Richard Lower in 1665 successfully transfused blood from one dog to another dog by connecting their arteries and veins. In 1667, a French physician named Jean-Baptiste Denis became the first man to try the technique on a human. Denis transfused sheep's blood into Anto a man likely suffering from psychosis in the hope that it would reduce his symptoms. But after the second transfusion, he developed a fever, severe pain in his lower back, intense burning of his arm, and he ended up urinating a thick black liquid. Though nobody knew about it at that time, these were clear signs of a dangerous immune response, unfolding inside his body. In extreme cases, the massive breakdown of cells due to a similar antigen-antibody reaction could cause clots in the blood system that disrupt the flow of blood to vital organs and ultimately lead to death. Fortunately, Denise's patient survived the transfusion. But after other cross-species transfusions proved fatal, the procedure was outlawed across Europe, falling out of favour for centuries. Doctors even tried transfusing milk into patients' bloodstreams in the hope that milk might get converted to white blood cells to help fight infections. This was another major setback. Many similar operations failed miserably, and as you might expect, these experiments gave blood transfusions a very bad name. In 1678, the Paris Society of Physicians declared transfusions illegal and soon after, the English passed a similar law. Time flew by and almost 200 years later, English doctor James Blundell understood the problem and realised that only human blood can be given to humans. But Blundell's early attempts at transfusion were still very primitive. He began by opening the blood donor's artery and catching the spurting blood in a cup, which was then poured into a funnel connected into the patient's veins. As you can imagine, this didn't work out so well. One major problem was that the blood clotted when it was exposed to air. Doctors then devised a method of attaching a tube directly from one artery to a vein, so that the blood could flow easily from one person to another. But this wasn't an easy procedure either. The patient and the donor had to lay side by side while the patient's vein was attached to the donor's artery with a little metal cannula. But with this method, there was no way to measure how much blood was being transfused. However, that problem was later solved when coated Y-shaped tubes and syringes were developed. Now there was a way to transfuse blood without it clotting and a way to measure the amount of blood that would be drawn from a donor and pumped into a patient. While some patients flared very well from these transfusions, some became very sick. This again put the hopes about successful transfusion in jeopardy. In 1901, physician Karl Landsteiner discovered that humans have different blood types, A, B, O or AB. This was a medical breakthrough allowing patients to receive blood matched to their own type. In 1907, doctors were mixing together small amounts of blood before transfusing it. If there were no clumps, the types were a match. This enabled them to save thousands of lives, laying the foundation for modern transfusions. Up to this point, all transfusions had occurred in real time, directly between two individuals, That's because blood begins to clot almost immediately after coming into contact with air, a defense mechanism to prevent extensive blood loss after injury. This problem too was solved when in 1914, Adolf Huston discovered that the chemical sodium citrate stopped blood coagulation by removing the calcium necessary for clot formation. Citrated blood could be stored for later use. This was the first step in making large-scale blood transfusion possible. In 1916, J. McClellan found an even more effective anticoagulant called heparin, which works by deactivating enzymes that enable clotting. Heparin is used even today. Around the same time, American and British researchers developed portable machines that could transport blood into the battlefields of World War I. Combined with the newly discovered heparin, medics safely stored and preserved litres of blood, wheeling it directly into the battlefields to transfuse wounded soldiers. After the war, this crude portable box became the inspiration for the modern-day blood bank. In 1932, the first blood bank was established at Leningrad Hospital in Russia. Even though World War I brought many ideas of modern blood transfusion into play, the impact of World War II and racism on blood transfusion is of great significance in its history. In 1914, spurred by the demands of World War II, the Red Cross began its blood donor program. With impassioned radio ads and national calls to action, millions of Americans donated blood to be shipped overseas for military aid. It was a tremendous effort that inarguably saved an extraordinary number of lives, but it also excluded an extraordinary number of people. As extensively discussed in number of articles and scholarly papers, the Red Cross, despite its national cry for help, would not accept blood from black donors. Reportedly, this was a direct military order. Despite scientific proof that there is no racial difference in blood, the U.S. Army and Navy prefer to bow to discriminatory, extremely racist practices. Charles Richard Drew was an American surgeon and medical researcher. He researched in the field of both blood transfusions, developing improved techniques for blood storage, and applied his expert knowledge to develop large-scale blood banks in the early days of World War II. As the most prominent African-American in the field, Drew protested against the practice of racial segregation in the donation of blood, as it lacked any scientific foundation, and resigned his position as medical director of the Red Cross blood bank program, calling it contrary to scientific fact and an insult to patriotic black Americans. Still, the ban on blood donors of colour held strong. In December 1941, a few days after the bombing of Pearl Harbour, when the nation's need for blood and impassioned donation campaigns were at an all-time high, Sylvia Tucker, attempted to donate blood at her local Red Cross Center in Detroit and was turned away. The reason, of course, was that she was African-American. Rightfully furious, she wrote a letter to Eleanor Roosevelt, then the First Lady. Her efforts, coupled with intense public outcry, persuaded the military and the Red Cross to change their policies. Finally, in January 1942... The Red Cross began accepting black blood donors, but it was on a segregated basis. Full integration of the Red Cross's national blood donation program wouldn't come until 1950, after years of activism. As human beings, we may carry different blood types, but our blood is all fundamentally the same. Science has proven over and over again that race bears no impact on blood, And to treat it otherwise is both unscientific and overly racist the early history of blood donation is shameful but what we must do now is demand a better one going forward research discoveries and modern techniques have made blood donations and transfusions a complex but life-saving science today People donate in blood centers which house processing, testing and typing laboratories and maximize each blood donation. One pint of blood is separated into many specific components, red blood cells, platelets and plasma. Blood centers perform stem cell extractions for all kinds of treatments. It takes only a short time to donate blood. And the amount of blood taken represents only a very small portion circulating through your system. Every donation has the power to save human lives. The magic of saving lives circulates in all of our veins. But the catch is, we only get it from each other. That is why very altruistic people donate blood. The need for blood is consistent, pandemic Or otherwise. But the power to heal is only one donation and one transfusion away. This podcast is brought to you by Inflame Medical Magazine. I am Sri Lakshmi, the social media director and state special correspondent of Inflame Medical Magazine. Stay tuned for more interesting content. Goodbye.